Now, if you would, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 32 through 39. We are not those who shrink back. We're not, are we? We're not a church who shrinks back. We're going to press on to the end. We're going to fight the good fight of faith so as to win the prize. We're going to compete in the Christian life by the rules, by the will of God, believing in Jesus Christ. Well, our author here has been speaking of uh, struggles, of, of, of those who are vacillating, those who are waffling and he gives, he's given them a, a grand and great and severe warning that if they don't continue, all that remains is a fearful, terrifying judgment. He knows they're in need of endurance. So he calls on them now to look back, reflect on what God has done for them and in them, how God has shown himself faithful. But not only look back, he wants them to look forward. He wants them to ponder. He wants them to meditate, to think upon the, the very great reward, the, the great inheritance that yet remains before them. You see, they have come too far to quit. They must press on so as to gain the prize. Now, you should leave here today extremely encouraged. After that great warning, the pastor comes now and he gives this great encouragement to press on. So let's pick up now reading in chapter 10, beginning at verse 32 through verse 39. Then we're going to head into a beautiful chapter. All of it's beautiful. Chapter 11, but chapter 10, 32 today. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that is converted, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners or companions with those so treated. For you had compassion or sympathy on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the pondering, that is the, the confiscation of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding or an enduring one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, now he conflates Isaiah 26 and Habakkuk 2 here, yet a little while the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Right? We're not those who are going to shrink back. We've come too far. To give up. Right, if you're going to give up, you should have given up a long time ago. It's amazing to me, people get divorced after 40 years. Just as a, phenomenally, as a human institution, as God's institution, why would you do that? The best is yet before you. Oh, we're so foolish and so sinful. We need God and we need His Word. Let's pray and ask His blessing. 
as we eat at his table and eat his word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we need you. Oh, how we need you, Lord Jesus Christ. We are sinful, prone to sin, loving sin. But Lord, we thank you that you've given us just a smidgen of desire of holiness. As you, you've given us a seed that lives within us, the Holy Spirit, that now cries out, Abba, Father. Those things that we don't do, we should do. And those things that we don't want to do, we do. Oh, Lord, who will deliver us from this body of sin and death? Only you, Jesus. Good works, the law has no power over anything regarding obedience. Only the Spirit in Jesus Christ. Oh, come now and bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. The only easy day is yesterday. So says Navy Captain Dick Couch in his book, Elite Warrior, The Forging of Navy SEAL Class 228. In the book, Captain Couch lays out exactly what it takes to become a United States Navy SEAL. To become one of the elite members of a cadre of warriors of the Naval Special Warfare Group. It's six months of the most intense military training in all of the world. The first five and a half weeks of training to prepare for week six. And week six is known as Hell Week. Throughout the week, the instructors put the recruits through unspeakable challenges. Rigorous exercise. Rigorous is too soft a word. Running swimming, crawling, and literally living in sand. They call it becoming a sugar cookie, getting ready to bake things for Christmas. You know what sugar cookies are, right? You know the crystals on top? You live like that basically for six months. You lift up huge poles, telephone poles. You, you paddle boats in the open ocean in freezing temperatures. The men are constantly wet, cold, and not allowed to sleep more than a couple of hours the whole week. Right? Just going 24 hours without sleep would be bad enough. Could you imagine going like 72 hours or longer? Well, why do they do this? Why do the instructors do this? Why do they put this punishment, this training on these aspiring recruits to wear the trident, the Navy SEAL? You know why? Because they want to weed out the quitters. Those who do not have what it takes to become a United States Navy SEAL. If you want to quit during the training, all you have to do is ring the brass bell on the training deck. All during the training, the instructors are yelling to you to ring the bell. Son, just ring the bell. Put the misery to bed, and you yourself can go to bed. You can get some food, you can go home to mama, you can get a shower. All you have to do is ring that bell. Just ring the bell. And you can quit. And all your pain will be no more. It will go. But interestingly enough, there, there are other voices, not only the voices of the instructors, they're the voices of your fellow recruits, your cadre. 
encouraging you not to quit. You can do it. You can make it through. And there are two main reasons that they give for not quitting. Look to how far you've come. You can't quit. It will all be for naught if you quit now. Don't throw it away. Secondly, think about your goal. If you get through the training, that Navy SEAL Trident is there for the taking if you can endure. You can win the prize. You will be a SEAL, one of the elite. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, the preacher now, the author to the Hebrews, applies this same strategy giving two reasons or, or two motivations for not quitting the Christian life. First, remember how far you've come. Remember what God has already done in your life. Take inventory, reflect back, and begin to sing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Savior. But secondly, not only look back, you need to, to look forward. Look forward to the reward that yet remains for those who persevere to the end, those who endure, those who run so as to win the prize. So the gist is what of being encouraged here is to persevere, we need to learn to look back and look forward. And both of these will keep us from apostasy. You see, this is the great paradox of the Christian life, right? While salvation is free, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful, we can all attest to that. On the other side, conversely, the same coin, following Jesus will cost you everything you have. So it's free. Whosoever come, let him come. Let him drink, let him eat, without money, without cost. That's right. But if you come, you must be ready to take up your cross, to deny yourself, and follow Jesus. For what does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? So it's free, and yet it costs you everything. That's the paradox. So the outline this morning is simply, look back and remember God's faithfulness, and secondly, look forward and ponder God's future blessings. So look back, look forward, if you just want the cliff note version. Look back, look forward, right? Look back, look forward. First, look back, verses 32 to 35. The first thing the preacher exhorts them is, notice what he says there in verse 32. But recall the former days... When, after you were enlightened, enlightened here means to having come to an awareness. He's using it in the context. This word's used in varied ways, but here in context, it's, it's meaning once when you were enlightened, when you were converted, when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, recall that. Remember all the zeal and excitement you had about your faith. You see, he's speaking about their conversion. The preacher then calls them to remember because he, he longs for them to endure, to finish what they began so that they may receive the reward. Now maybe this morning as you look back on an earlier day in your own life, 
soon after coming to faith, you, you had heard the word of God. You received it with joy and enthusiasm and excitement. There was a zealousness about your life. You, you longed to be in the Word. You were like the deer thirsting for streams. You remember those days? Remember how you used to read the Word? You couldn't get enough of the Word. You listened to tons of John MacArthur sermons, R.C. Sproul, because that's all you had on the radio at that time. Kids, radio, I'll explain to you what that is at another time. But you'd listen, and you'd listen, you're thirsty. Oh, i got to know this God. Oh, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I don't just want to know about Him. I want to know Him. I want to be conformed to His image in the power of His word that I might attain the resurrection of life. You see, that was the, what pulsated through you. Like, just like a thermonuclear. Right? You just loved it. To a greater and lesser degree, all of us had that. right? Some of us more so than others. But to a lesser, greater degree, we all love the Word of God. And you think now, you reflect today, and you take inventory, and you say, what happened to that person? You were running well, but now you're stumbling. I want to encourage you this morning, saints, if you can and have run well in the past, you can run well again, because God has promised to finish what He's begun. He's faithful, right? Paul says to the Philippians, He who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's going to finish what he started. Like in a marriage, when you go through a difficult season as mature adults, as husband, as wife, you, you take inventory, you have a time out, right? You call the family together. If it's a family matter and it's a husband and wife matter, you say, Honey, we've got to get some time alone together to talk and to be together and reconnect. And you reflect on your love one for another, how you first fell in love, remembering the zeal and passion that you had at first. Remembering reminds them of what they have is real. It's worth preserving. You, you take out the picture book. You take out the, the videotape, the VHS, or the, the DVD, and you put it in. You see that day, that special day, and you remind yourself again, why did I marry this woman? You rekindle, you reflect, you, you give thought to all that God has done. And you say, how can I quit now when I've come thus far? You see, the preacher knows the folks he's writing to. And he wants them to go down memory lane to remind them of all that God has done among them, giving evidence that God was really at work. And he gives three proofs or, or three pieces of evidence and these three pieces of evidence are applicable not only to the Hebrews there who are struggling, debating whether to go back to Judaism, but they give evidence to every Christian who's struggling. Maybe today you've come here and you said, today's my last Sunday. I'm going to give Jesus Christ one more look-see. But you're on the precipice and you're wondering, you're, you're vacillating, you're, you're thinking, I'm going to quit. Well, there are three pieces of evidence to God is given, and he's given to the Hebrews here in Hebrews chapter 10. Three pieces of evidence to, to stay in the fight, to not ring the bell in the Christian life. I know people have rung the bell. I actually know one guy who, who's rung the bell who knows the Bible just about as good as I know it. He's rung the bell. 
He tapped out. It can happen to anyone. Anyone. Me being chief. But notice the first piece of evidence. They can take confidence that God is at work in them because they were willing, notice what it says, they were willing to suffer for the name. Uh Uh-oh. Suffer. Beloved, I have found that most people deconstruct from Christianity, abandon Christianity, abandon Christ when life becomes difficult. When life gets hard, that's when people leave the faith. You think of Judas. Judas is apostate with a capital A. Why did he abandon Christ? Well, he was an elect of God. Okay, that's right, Presbyterian. Got that. But the Word of God puts Judas in historical context. He's a real man in time and space who made a real decision. Who, seeing and hoping that Jesus was going to be a revolutionary figure and throw off the Roman yoke, soon became very disenchanted with Jesus of Nazareth because he wasn't bringing the kingdom that Judas wanted. That's why he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. So he departed. He became disenchanted. But notice these folks. Shortly after coming to faith in Christ, the preacher reminds them in verses 32 to 33, you endured a hard struggle. Now this word, hard struggle, is the word from which we get our word athlete. Athelesis, right? With sufferings, what kind of sufferings? Notice what it says. Sometimes being publicly exposed. That is, being mocked, shamed in public. The word here is the word from which to, to stand up on a stage. So they're, they're being mocked publicly. None of us like that, right? You want to be whack-a-mole, right? Bam! Just start to stand out. And that's what they were doing. They were standing out. They were being mocked for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice they also began to be reproached. And verbal affliction. Right? Physically beaten for the faith. Verse 34, they even joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Why? Because they believed Jesus was worth it. At the end of the day, that Jesus was greater That the greater love of Jesus for them constrained them. How could they quit on Jesus? Because Jesus hadn't quit on them when the going got tough there in Gethsemane. Father, if if it be your will, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will but your will. You see, Jesus endured to the end, and Jesus lives in me. And Jesus can give me the strength to endure. They believed this. You see, the author has seen how these readers responded to suffering in the past, how God carried them through it, and now he reminds them that the Savior will continue to hold fast. You see, you can't quit now, he's telling them. You you can't ring the bell. You can't go back. The old covenant, it's obsolete. It is no more. It served its purpose. But secondly, notice the second proof or the, the second piece of evidence They can take confidence that God is at work with them because they love one another. They've suffered together, and they've also shown that they love one another. Jesus says in John 13, 35, All men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. You see, these folks not only suffered public reproach and affliction themselves, verse 33, 
they had willingly identified and partnered with those so treated. Verse 34, you had compassion or sympathy for those who were imprisoned for the name. This is exactly what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 25. Right? When you visit those in prison for the name, here's exactly what's happening here in the book of Hebrews. These folks are willingly aligning themselves with those whom the Roman state probably is now inflicting all these censures and persecution on the church. Most of us would just cuddle up and be silent and live in a cave. But they were willing to go and to minister to those in prison. You see, the unbelieving world around these folks saw the light of Christ in them, and they hated it. Did you hear that? The world did everything in its power to snuff these Christians out, to silence them from speaking the name of Jesus. All saints, the the world will not love you because the world does not love your Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to understand that. That's 101. That's first semester, freshman year. Young people, do you hear me? The world does not love your Savior. They hate Jesus. They hate the light. Dare they come into the light lest their deeds be exposed. 2 Timothy 3.12, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's why Jesus, salvation is free, but if you're going to come and follow me, it's an invitation to come and die. That's why there's so few takers. That's why in John 6, when people really start to understand, have little epiphanies of what he's saying, They start to peel out and peel off and fade away. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. But he also declared in that same chapter in Matthew, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Church, don't expect everyone to give glory to your Father when they see the light of Christ in you. But these believers in Hebrews were not only willing to suffer, they were willing to suffer with others and love others who were persecuted for the name. You see, in love, they were willing to join in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. How? One, by just identification, by visiting those in prison. That was daring enough. And when they came, what did they bring? They they came bringing water. It's very tactile. It's not over-spiritual. Let's not make this more spiritual than it really is. Right? We're not Gnostic. They were people in prison suffering for the name of Jesus who needed bread and water. And these folks, in love, in willing identification with the name, identified with those who were suffering for the name and brought real tangible means of sustenance, bodily sustenance, to keep them. Love characterized these believers. You see, if we love one another, God abides in us. 
But notice there's a third proof. So they were willing to suffer for the name. They were willing to identify with the name because they love Jesus and they love one another. And the third proof, they can take confidence that God is at work in them because their lives are marked by joy. How is this possible? You should be scratching your spiritual head. How is this possible? You can be marked by joy when you're undergoing persecution, being reviled for the name. I want you to again think back when you first confessed Christ. If there was one word that could summarize, encapsulate what you were experiencing, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better word than joy. You didn't have a lot of knowledge, but you knew your sins were forgiven. God, the Holy Spirit was living in you. You had joy. You were marked by joy. You see, joy is evidence of a heart filled with the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? The fruits of the Spirit. And now the author here is reminding these weary Christians not to quit, not to ring the bell, reminding them that back when they first believed, when they first took their vows as a communicant child, I had joy. I remember that. I was 13. I became a communicant member. I confessed Christ that my Father's God was my God. That that baptism that was given to me as an infant is efficacious and effectual. When and how, according to the Spirit's timing. And now I'm declaring my allegiance to Jesus Christ. I have joy. You see, how's your joy? We're kind of jaded, I think, a little bit today. But we need to be marked by joy. How could they do this? Notice what he says. You, you had compassion, verse 34, and sympathy for those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering, that is the confiscation of your property. How do they do this? Because notice what it says. He tells us how they do it. Because they knew they had a better possession. They had an abiding possession. You see what they had that we sometimes lack? They had an eternal perspective. They saw him who is invisible. By faith, they believed the promise of God. It was more real to them than their own property. I wonder how many of us would joyfully accept the plundering of our property. If I came home and found my house boarded up and roped off and flattened, I would probably crumble to the ground just like the house. Most would. And yet these folks endured. They, they stayed in the fight. They didn't ring the bell. And they did so joyfully. <laughs> they weren't stoics. Stoicism is massive today philosophically in our world. I want you to know this. Suck it up, kill the emotion, and do it. I'm here to tell you on the authority of the living God that that is not biblical. Now, sometimes we have to do it. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But notice what characterized their obedience. Joy. They had joy, joy in their God because they were in communion with God, right? Psalm 16, 11, 
at their right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence, there's fullness of what? Joy. You see? Let's just take it at face blank. They had an eternal perspective. They knew they had a better possession, an imperishable inheritance in heaven, an inheritance that Jesus says, rust and moth cannot, will not destroy. It was real for them. That was being kept for them even as they were being kept for it. Now, I don't want to be super spiritual. I don't want to be Pollyannish and lie to you and say that it was easy to lose everything or to boast and say, I'm willing to do so for Christ. It's not. But I can say this, that when you lose things, that is possessions, it presents us with the opportunity to see the true state of your heart It also presents us with an opportunity to see who God really is. And that vision is not as clear when all the circumstances of life are squared away and you have no worries. Sometimes something has to be taken away before we can really see. Him who is invisible. And I have it here underlined because I want you to listen. Saints, God does some of his best work in our lives through a frowning providence. I'm going to say it again. Because the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve cannot get that. It's counterintuitive to the flesh. Let me say it again. God does some of his best work in our lives through a frowning providence. And that's exactly what was happening to these folks here in the book of Hebrews. This is why James tells us in James 1, 2-3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope that will not put us to shame. You see the beauty? God is marvelous. God is, who is a God like this God who, who works all things to my good? That my heavenly Father has ordained whatsoever comes to pass in my life. That every trial is, is for His glory and for my good. And to give joy and thanksgiving in it. Oh, beloved, this is foreign. You see, these folks had everything taken away, and in the process they realized that Christ was worth it. This is what Peter and John are getting at in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Now remember here in Acts chapter 5, they're being persecuted for the church. They're literally being beaten. Physically beaten. None of us have been physically beaten for Christ, but they had been. They leave 
the council, having been told, you've got to be silent. You guys got to shut it down. We can't have you going around Jerusalem speaking the name of Jesus. So the council decides to have them beaten. So they leave, and it, we're told in, John, in Acts 5, 41 by Luke, they left the presence of the council, notice what it says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What? You see, beloved, this is what saving faith can do, and this is what saving faith does do. You see, all saints, we have an abiding possession, a better possession. Notice the implication, verse 35, right? They're struggling. You're struggling this morning. You're thinking about quitting. Notice the implication, verse 34, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. We've already defined what this confidence was and is. It's the confidence to draw near to Jesus, to God the Father, in the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't throw it away. You've come so far. Are you really going to ring the bell now? Satan's in your ear. He's saying, you know what? Just go home. Quit. Get out of the sand. Take a hot shower. Get a hot meal. You can lay down and rest in your bunk. You can quit. Just go over there and ring the bell. The writer saying, you can't quit now. You see what God has done in you? He's given you grace to suffer for his name. He's given you grace to love others while they were suffering for the name. And he's given you the grace of joy. How would you quit now? Right? Why didn't you quit year one? You walk with Jesus 20 years now. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you had a, a tremendous walk with God once upon a time. But you've since grown, grown, ambivalent, cold, lukewarm. That's one thing you don't want to be, is lukewarm. Hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. You know what? I want to preach those letters, the book of Revelation. I might do that. Not today. But you don't want to be that guy. He will spew you out of his mouth. I'm just the messenger. This is the living God who's confronting us. This God who's so uncomfortable. Who's so holy. <laughs> who, who shakes us and rattles our cage and gets in our grill. Who confronts us. You know why? Because he loves us. He loves your soul. It's valuable to him. We don't value it. We say we do, but we really don't. But he does. And he showed it in giving Christ a Savior for you. So looking back gives us courage to keep going. So this week, I want you to take some time. To, I want you to reflect, right? It's Thanksgiving on Thursday. I want you to sit down this week, and I want you to take inventory of God's faithfulness in your life. I want you to begin to count your blessings and name them one by one. Right? Do it this way. Reflect upon His goodness. Well, secondly, and quickly, 
not only do we look back to his faithfulness in the past, notice we look forward, we ponder, we give thought to the great reward. Repeatedly in Hebrews, one of the main themes has been that the Christian life is a life of endurance, making it to the end. And notice what he says in verse 36. He's telling these folks, these weary Christians, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I'm not a runner. I don't like running. I'm a sprinter, and when I do run, I sprint. But there are two kinds of runners. They're sprinters, and they're long-distance runners. Sprinters go all out for a short distance. Long-distance runners have to keep going over the long haul. Last week was the marathon here in Richmond. My neighbor ran in it, Cameron, unbeliever, wanted to do so under four hours. He ran it in three hours and 58 minutes. He was thrilled. The winner, though, was Adam George, who ran it in two hours and 24 minutes. The last runner was Kristen Corson. She was the last one to complete the race when everybody was packing up and going home. Chairs were folded. Balloons were taken down. Sleepy kids were being carried home. You know the scene. Trash everywhere. She ran it in 8 hours and 12 minutes. 8 hours and 12 minutes. And I thought to myself, I can all but assure you, all saints, that when Kristen got to mile marker 25, she was not thinking. She was not thinking this. Well, I didn't win. I'm going to pack it up and I'm going to go home. She wasn't thinking that. You know what she was thinking? I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish. You kill me, but I'm going to finish. That's what he's getting at. Are you going to finish? Well, you say, well, sure, I just give you mental assent to that. Right? You put a little, give me some little gray matter there. No, that's not what I'm saying. Are you, are you doing everything you can do to finish? To compete according to what? The will of God. Notice that? What's the will of God for you? Let's demystify it. Here it is. Here is the will of God for you this morning. Micah 6, 8, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with Jesus. That's the will of God for you. That's the will of God for you. And finish. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be faithful to the means of grace. Don't forsake the assembling yourselves together, right? Discipleship, finishing the Christian life as a team sport. I need the Ricks and the Susus and the Mitchells in my life to encourage me. Right? I get to encourage them, but do you know their voices in my life are very important and significant that I need those voices in my life? We're in this together. We're the church of the firstborn of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us finish. Let us not ring the bell because we have a better possession. An abiding one. Oh, how our lives would look different if we gave more attention to this possession. 
We don't because we don't have to. We grow too comfortable, too complacent in this life. And by the way, this is why suffering can be disguised as a blessing. Because as Lewis would say, God, the living God, the triune God, whispers in our pleasures, but he screams in our trials. Hello, Adam, where are you? Richard Baxter, Puritan, late in life, grew very ill. And that context is pivotal. He says to stay in the fight, he began to determine to spend 30 minutes each day meditating on the glories of heaven. What is heaven like? What is the glory that awaits me in heaven? What is this imperishable inheritance that's stored up for heaven and kept for me even as I'm kept for it? And he says it revolutioned revolutionized his life. He noticed himself beginning to have more joy, more passion and love for Christ. It, it changed his perspective on everything. And he put his thoughts down in his most famous book, The, the Saints Everlasting Rest. He started to spend more time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than he did on the, the, the most recent blog feed. Or the new series on Netflix. You see, he was so heavenly minded, he was actually earthly good. I've never, by the way, and I'll leave you here. I've never, by the way, found a Christian who is doing more earthly good, who was not heavenly minded. Top Lady, Owen, Baxter, Calvin, Luther, Hannah, Sarah. Anna, Simeon, they're all heavenly minded. They're all thinking and pondering the great possession that yet remains. Yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. He'll live by faith in the circumstances of life, that, that God has him in this life at this time for such a time as this, with all the difficulties, with, with secularism and postmodernity and deconstructing of the faith and all the institutions around us breaking down. The writer says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the living God. Faith in the better possession, the abiding one. Spending more time thinking upon these things than all the things that occupy us in this world. Because if he shrinks back, the Word of God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. But notice the last encouragement. Right? Every minister should take heed. Esau, Daniel, Bullock, listen. Notice how he, he wraps it up. He brings it to a conclusion. He lands it here. Notice what he says there. Look at verse 39. But we, us, family, in Jesus, the community, the bride of Christ, the temple of God, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's who we are. That's where I'm going. 
like, Je- like Joshua, right? As for me and my house, that's what we're going to do. We're not quitters. We're not going to ring the bell. We've come so far. We're reflecting back on all he's done. We're thinking about all to come in Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask this blessing. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your holy word. It gives us everything we need to live a life of godliness, holiness, biblical holiness, biblical purity, with reality of saving union and communion with Jesus Christ, our ever-living head. Oh, our God, we praise you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are faithful to complete the work you've begun in us. Give us grace to persevere to the end. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.